So we've been talking about how God has been working his manifesto in our lives and trying to create us, in us, some sort of language or vision of, of our lives, not just having them happen or, or just praying it what seems right, dear God, just please help me have a great day today, but rather to get actually in the ball, involved in the process of making days great as God himself created us in his image and as he began to create the universe around us and spoke with greatness and certainty, that he said, listen, as my image bearers, I want you also to go into the world and begin to intentionally bring about the divine manifesto of life to the world around you. So we've been learning about a man, Nehemiah, who has been responding to the broken world that he lives in, which is very much like ours. He's a Jewish person who finds himself, the nation of Israel has been overrun, it's been broken down, the Persians came in, pretty much wiped it out, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and and Nehemiah finds out that Jerusalem and its walls have been broken down, and it troubles his heart, just like maybe our marriages trouble us. We look at the world around us, what's going on politically, what's going on uh, relationally in the world, or maybe even our own, in our own hearts and minds. And we begin to look to need a manifesto to change the condition of the world that we are personally living in. So he approaches the king, uh, to get permission to travel to fix Jerusalem. And we learned that his conversation with the king really does serve as an allegory of our conversation with God about what should we be asking God for? What is the insights that we learn of a manifesto about living a life with intentionality? Not just creeds, those are good. Not just vision statements, those are excellent. But rather the intentionality and, and actually implementing this plan for our lives. So that we, we saw that he asked for these letters from the king to be able to travel through the regions. And we learned from that is that God, in Christ, as a result of our relationship with God through Jesus, God gives us a new letter of non-condemnation. That, listen, I don't know how bad you've messed up in your first marriage. I, you know, I have forgiven that. I, I know what you struggle with. I know what your mistakes are. I know what your shame quotient is. But I'm giving you a letter of, of no condemnation because of your relationship with the king, because of your connection with God through Jesus. And that way we can lift our heads no matter where we've been from. And that is why I am the pastor of this church. These, all these years, I, I've come to figure it out. It's not my gifting. It's not my uh, leadership. It's, it's the fact that I have a broken past and that I am somebody who believes the letter of God. When he said there was no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, as a, as a, as a drug user, as somebody hooked on pornography, as somebody having gone through a divorce, as somebody having been arrested and incarcerated, for somebody who's dropped out of college multiple times, I can tell you that he is the glory and he's the lifter of my head. And that when he put that letter in my hands, that meant this guy could have a new life. And that, that's what God gives to every one of us. So Nehemiah gets that letter. And then we learned last week that he, he asked the king for one thing, and he's asking him for materials. He says, king, I, I need lumber to rebuild what we're going to build, but I don't need just any lumber. I need the lumber and the timber from the king's forest. I need the best of the best in order to rebuild. And we learned that our lives can be built with just about any kind of lumber. And I think a lot of us are, are building lives with all kinds of different materials. But if we're going to experience God's plan, I mean, if we've decided 
that we want God's best and success for our lives, then we're going to have to get the resources from his kingdom, from his force. We're going to have to build with his truth, his kindness, his love, his compassion, his discernment, his vision and will for the created world and for us individually. So today we're going to continue to look at Nehemiah. And at this point, he is ridden through all the different regions, and he's arrived at Jerusalem. But not everybody was happy to see it. Let me read this to you. Nehemiah 2.9 says this. Then I, Nehemiah, came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter that said that I have a right to be here and I can pass through. And now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat, the Hornonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. You know, isn't it amazing that there are people in our lives who don't want us to succeed with God's plans for our lives? I mean, it's one of the things that we we have in common as a species, is that when you check out of the grocery store, there's literature, there's periodicals, there are magazines designed to remind you that, that Elvis had a baby with an alien, and he was screwed up. That, that Brad and, what's her name, Angelina are arguing, or Brad's back with somebody. And, and, and we see all this stuff because it, it, just, it just entices us to see that other people are failing. I mean, some of us, I mean, all joking aside, will love to see Tom Brady lose today. Why? Because it would give us the satisfaction of, yeah, his wife's too pretty. He makes too much money. He's won too much. So I'm just going to, in the good old human spirit, I want the winner to lose. Now, that's kind of a really, I don't want you to feel too bad about feeling that way, but... um, But it is a point that don't be surprised the moment that you start going to God, that in your key relationships, whether it's at home, whether it's your relational relationship, well, I guess all relationships are relational, but in all kinds of relationships, don't be surprised that people are not excited about you succeeding. Or all of a sudden when you announce that you're following after God and you're going to do this God's way, do not wait for that. Because the kingdom of God does not come to those who are waiting on a consensus. If you're waiting on a consensus from the world to approve your following of Christ, I'm telling you, you'll never see the kingdom of God come into your life. We'll talk about more of this and these kind of antagonistic responses to what God's doing in our lives over the next couple weeks. But after arriving at Jerusalem... Nehemiah does something very, very interesting, but it seems to be very important. See, he's arrived in Jerusalem, but guess what he, hasn't, what he does not have knowledge of? He does not have intimate, personal knowledge of what the walls look like. Remember, he's done all of this based upon the reports that he's got from other people that he's going to go to this city and that the, the walls are broken down and that Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt. But now it is time for him to personally see what is the condition of the walls. So without telling anyone else what he's doing, Nehemiah begins to move about the city. 
But what he does, he does this interestingly. He does it only at night. And he does it basically by himself. There's a couple people maybe taking notes with him. But he's riding on his one mule, and, he's, and, and at night he goes around the city and he begins to inspect it. Let me, let me read to you the description of it. So I, Nehemiah, went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. And then I rose in the night and a few men with me. And I told no one, no one, what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Quietly, with precision, being moved by compassion, he evaluates the situation. See, for him, this is a really important process. And living in a manifesto, this is a very important process. This is a time to see the real issues. A time to discover the real solutions. And it's also a time for him to compile the thoughts and the words necessary to articulate vision. This is a very important moment, and we can't overlook the significance of it. Because sometimes when we want to fix something, what do we do? When we want to fix our spouses, when we want to fix our lives, when we want to fix our workplace, we just dive into it with our opinion. We just show up with our lumber and we begin doing what we think needs to be done. We have an opinion about what needs to happen, and we immediately go home and tell our wives or go home and tell our husbands or we go into our workplace or we respond on Facebook to uh, the, uh, the abortion issue in New York and all these other things, and we immediately just hammer out our opinion without taking a moment, taking this moment at night, this, this moment of of, of trying to find out, okay, what is the real issue here? And, and then, when is the real solution? I know there's nobody here that is quicker to fix anything on this planet than the women in this room. Because I'll tell you what, your husband, you know, you, you, you know what's wrong with him. And you know exactly how to fix him. Now, I won't ask for the men to give a show of hands how many of them have been successfully fixed by their wives. It just, I don't see it normally happening all that well. We think that we, need, we know what it needs to be fixed without even doing the quiet work of introspection. But our story leads us to something then greater than know thyself. I don't want you to think that that's what this is. This is some sort of... Um, you know, just you focusing more in on you. Because the, the you you are today is different than the you you were a, a while ago. Nehemiah is inspecting the brokenness of Jerusalem. He's walking around it quietly at night, doing this deep and this dark work to see what's wrong, what's really wrong here. What is the real issues? You know, it's absolutely amazing about the scriptures is a moment like this because in beautiful incredible fashion 
It just happens that Nehemiah's name in Hebrew means Jehovah comforts. When Jesus was on the earth, he told his disciples about his imminent death and then his, res- his coming resurrection, and he told them that he would leave them, but then he, he promised them this. He said, listen, guys, I am not going to leave you alone to fix your walls or to fix your city or to fix your spouse or to fix your job site or whatever it may be. Yes, I am not going to leave you alone. And he says this to them, I will pray the Father and he shall send you another Nehemiah, Jehovah comforts. He will send you another comforter that he may be with you forever, and he is the spirit of truth. Nehemiah in this moment represents that incredibly important work of the spirit of, that the spirit of God needs to do in every single one of us. Before we jump up, before we shout out, before we take a wrench and begin to change things in the world, this work of allowing the spirit of God to search the depths of who we are in the depths and the darkness and the brokenness of who we are with, a, with precision and with incredible compassion. See, because if it's me just doing the work of me knowing myself, I will introspect, I will look at myself, and I will evaluate my condition. Now, you may be like me, is that if I do a lot of introspection, I will end up with a conclusion that's too harsh. You know, I will end up staring at the mirror telling myself I suck, that I'm a failure, that I'll never amount to anything, and I will walk away and say, yay, I know myself. I hate myself more today as a result of that. Or maybe you're also like me because I'm not the same every day, that I may be too accommodating with my opinion of myself. Well, you know, you're not, you're not bad, you know. Come on, really? Just, you know, that's, it's not like you you did something really bad. It's just a little bad. And after all, you're human and you're a red-blooded American male. And, you know, that's just what to expect from that. You're all right. You're not, you're not as bad as him. Or I could let other people tell me what's wrong with me. And I'm not in any way demeaning the power of counseling in this situation. But I am saying that other people are relying on faulty perceptions and biases if they are just telling me what they know about me by them knowing thyself. You know, if if that's all they got is that they know thyself well and then they're just going to help me tell me how I should know myself and, you know, that doesn't always seem to work out. So I think we need to understand that that this, this story is in this moment of solitude this moment of night. It's a work in the depths of the Spirit of God in who we are. It's God working in the shadows of our psyche, of our spirit, our our personality, our life. And and, and Nehemiah represents the, the comfort of Jehovah, not somebody coming to hurt us, to condemn us, to expose us, But as he was going to rebuild the walls to to bring integrity, to bring strength, to bring safety to the city of Jerusalem, to bring respect to this broken down city, that the Spirit of God wants to search the depths of who we are. He invites us to, to allow him in and to do this honest work. But I think too many of us don't want to let God go that far. You know, I don't know. 
I mean, maybe it's our autonomy. We just kind of like, hey, this idea of letting God search me, which he will not do without your permission, but to allow God just to invade my life and then to kind of move, it's like, I, I don't want that. I, I don't want somebody else telling me how my life should be lived, even if it's God. It's amazing. Or you just don't want to know what he may share with you. And sometimes that's the fear. Is that what if he tells me something, oh, I just don't want him to point that out. I just don't want to know that about myself. I'd rather just kind of go on the way that I'm going. But if we're going to see and create a new future, we must be willing to let God reveal the true issues of our heart. I think uh, we love all the incredible success stories of the Bible, and we always appeal to them. You know, I'll, I'll talk about somebody like David and, you know, Goliath-type story, and we'll talk about all these wonderful moments about Moses and some of the apostles. But I think we forget to look at the moments that are very much like this moment that Nehemiah is having with the walls of the city, these dark moments, these moments of deep searching of the Spirit of God where God gets into the person and, and, and begins to talk to the person about the issues or the vision that he has for their life. Jonah was such a man. Jonah is a man, and if you're not really familiar with him, he's a man that God ends up using in a great way to save a complete people group, a whole city whole group of pagans. These were not Jewish people he saved. I mean, he sends Jonah to this city to save the whole city. But before there was that success, God had to reveal to Jonah something about his prejudices against people, something about his pride in his personal life. And in his night moment, it occurred when he was swallowed by a a phycetum macrocephalus, and it was there in the belly of the whale that he was in darkness, he was in the depths, and it was just him and God alone. And God begins to speak and to change his life. We don't end up with a Jonah. If there isn't a moment of loneliness and solitude and darkness with God, not evil darkness, but I'm talking about allowing God to go into the depth of you are, of who you are, that you don't even know who you are. I mean, we're filled with a society that, that is confused about who we are. So we're looking for society to tell us, is this normal? We're, we're listening to our hearts, but our hearts lie to us. They don't know. There was this guy named Paul. And by the way, Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days of darkness. Don't get hung up on the number three, but we will see it repeat itself. Paul was a man that God would use to change the world with the gospel. I mean, he's, he's Jonah on steroids. And so God does an amazing thing. But before that success can occur, God had to reveal something to Paul about his pride and about his perceptions of good and evil, about what is God, what are the people of God, about laws. I mean, he really needed to get captured by God. And this moment came to him when he was knocked off his horse by a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus and then went blind 
as God began to reveal himself to Paul, began to reveal Paul to Paul, what Paul had wrong about Paul, what Paul had wrong about people. And so Paul, for three days, remains in darkness of blindness because that's where it had to happen. That's where the deep conversation occurs. Jesus, who needs no introduction, also endured three days in the tomb of darkness before a revelation of resurrection was made to the world. Even in the creation story, before God does something new, there is this moment of darkness, again, not evil. I'm not talking about God searching the evil of us. But no, there is evil to us, but it's the darkness, it's the depths, you know, that place inside of you where you know, you wrestle with you, and you don't even know you, and, and you're not sure why you do things and, and into this deep place. But even in the creation story, there is a moment of darkness and moving of the Spirit of God. Let me read you this passage. It's, it's, it's a controversial passage, but I love it. Um, Genesis 1-2 says this. Right after it said, and God created the heavens and the earth and, and, and in the beginning. Then it said, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now the reason why theologians have argued about this is because it sounds like there's earth before God creates earth. You know? But, but that is a pattern to all things that God seems to do. That there, there could be this biological material that's already on this planet, but you know what it lacks? It lacks that moment when the Spirit of God hovers over the void and the f- lack of form and relational continuity, and that the Spirit of God begins connecting things together relationally. It says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The earth already existed. So let me just say, if you're here today and you've had trouble believing in the Bible because it to your maybe prejudice or bias that you think that God created the earth in seven 24-hour days and therefore the earth and the universe is only 10,000 years old, well, here's your out. Because we don't know how long the earth was around before God decides to begin to shine the light of relational context on it. But in order for him to do it, the Spirit of God moves over the material of life before it's known as life. And he begins to connect things in order. It required the Spirit of God to bring purpose, order, meaning, and relational context. Which one of us here doesn't need this to happen in our lives? A little order, a little meaning, a little purpose, a little relational context to our lives. This necessity of process is again displayed in the birth of Jesus. That, that moment when the angel's talking to Mary and it sounds confusing, at least in its context, but now maybe it will make a little bit more, context, uh, more sense. When the angel explains to Mary when she asks the question, how can I have a child when I am a virgin? And then the angel of the Lord says to her that the, this Nehemiah work, the comfort of Jehovah, this searching of the Spirit of God, moving in the depths of the voidness, the barrenness of the womb. He says, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the holy child shall be called the Son of God. 
See, a lot of us are bringing forth a life, but it's not a God life. Because we're not allowing the Spirit of God to hover over the depths of who we are. We're bringing forth life. We're bringing forth stuff. We're building things. But we can't necessarily say, this thing was born of God. That my marriage has that that sense of flavor and culture to it. That, man, this thing was born of God. That my relationship with my children, my relationship with the people around me, that this was born of God. It's going to allow a moment where, where in our darkness and our emptiness, our lack that we allow the Spirit of God to overshadow us to search the depths of who we are. Before we can do God's work around us, we must let God do his work within us. Please let that be your take home today. Before we can do God's work around us, we must let God do his work in us. And so many of us are just kind of like, well, I, know my, I know what we should do with homosexuals. Do you? Do you? I mean, do you? I mean, I know what my wife needs. I, need, I know what we need to do with Mr. Trump. I know what America needs. I know what I need more of in my life. Do you really know? Or do you need the Spirit of God to search you, invite the Spirit of God into your life? David, in a less than stellar moment in his life, the giant killer, you know, the great story that we all like to talk about, David. He kills a giant, and that's the story of David. No, it's not the story of David. That's a moment with David. But in a lesser than stellar moment when he cheats on his wife and then cheats with another man's wife and then in order to hide it kills that man's, that woman's husband. Talk about darkness, void, lacking continuity, you know. What does he do? He goes to God in Psalm 139 and it says, God, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path. You know my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. And, and you say, well, isn't that true of God in all ways? No, this is a context relationship. He goes on to say this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, intellectually, we know God, every, God knows everybody, knows everything. Not even a sparrow can fall without the awareness of God. But this is something different. This is the employing of an individual's will to have thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not all human beings do this. Most human beings just build with the lumber they got. But David's like, I've screwed this up, God. I'm a little confused about all this, so I'm going to ask you to do something. I want a Nehemiah moment. Search me, O God. Know my heart Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's a hurtful way in me. You know why? It's because David doesn't know. I don't know why I don't like certain people. I don't know why I like certain vegetables. I don't know everything about me. And David's like, listen, if I'm going to experience the kingdom of God in my life, God, I'm going to need you to search me and, and let me know Am am I really my wife's problem? Am I really the one that's troubling my children? Am I the one that's the problem at work? God, search me. Look at the walls of my life. Go into the darkness and the depth of who I am and and reveal to me 
what's going on inside of me? And he says, and lead me in the everlasting way. He is so confident that God is not doing this work to condemn us. God's not searching us so we can put a spotlight on it, so it can be posted on the web that you struggle with this or with that. But rather, it is so that he can lead you in the everlasting way, so that you can experience the kingdom of God in your life. Let me just say, the kingdom of God does not move forward in a person's life unless a person is willing to allow this to happen. For years, and you might have, if you've been here a while, for years, you may know this, I have been challenged by the issue of pride, arrogance, and just a little bit of a touch of um, vanity. Just a little bit. Okay, just a, oh really, Dan? Is that where we're going? We're going there, Dan? Okay, and, and so, and, and if you're here, you're probably an observer of my life, and you've seen all that, and, and this tended to be the way other people viewed me. And as a result of it, their feedback, um, I, I tried to fix myself. It's like, yeah, dude, you're so arrogant, you're so cocky, you're so blah. And I know I really didn't help that at all by showing you that video earlier, okay? I know that really didn't help my argument. But after years of failure, and to be honest with you, having a hard time even seeing it, and, and just saying that means I have vanity and pride, I began to ask God, like David, Lord, will you search me? And, and will you find out what that harmful way is in me? Why am I this way? And all my external expressions... Um, as I began to look at it, I started to ask God to help me, and I, I began to discover I don't want to be better than anyone else. Um, I, I don't want to own better stuff than you. I mean, I drive a Subaru Outback. I mean, who am I trying to beat with that? Jeep owners. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be better than anyone else. And you know what God showed me is, Paul, you're right. You don't want to be better than anyone else, and you don't even want to be the best. I don't want to be the best. Because if that makes somebody less than the best, I don't want to be the guy that made them feel that way. That is genuinely my heart, and I'm like, God, so what is it? And God showed me through his Holy Spirit, I mean, a revelation of his Spirit in me. He's like, you just want to be validated. You just want people to affirm your uniqueness and that you're valuable. So, well, how did I end up this way? Huh, I am basically the middle child of eight children. Hmm, I could see a little path right there. I was the boy born right after the only girl that was born in the family. For the most part of my life, I was my father's second daughter. At times, I even shared a room with my sister. So in the middle of all that, and my brothers are men. They are, I mean, they really are. They're burly, they're strong, they're men of the dirt, men of the earth, men of, they're in there with wrenches in life, and, and I'm proud of them. They're, but I'm like the dancer guy. I'm the hair gel guy. Hair, Dan, I got hair. So, in the middle of it, God revealed to me the story of Gideon 
And he showed me, Paul, what you're afraid of is being invalid, that nobody thinks you're special. And worse of all, the reason why you go to the gym so much, the reason why you watch what you eat so much is because you're afraid to become an invalid. Because the moment you become an invalid, you just become somebody in a wheelchair that nobody else sees. And I'll tell you what, when that revelation hit me, it was like, you're exactly right. I don't, want, I don't think I'm better than anybody, but I'm, I'm afraid to be missed. You know, I, I don't want to be the pastor of the biggest church in Charleston, but I would like the other pastors to notice that I'm doing an okay job. You know, I, I don't want to be super wealthy. I don't want to be better than you. And see, but if I was to know thyself or if I was to rely on maybe other people's opinion of me, I had a pride issue. No, I have a value issue. And so then I started going into the scriptures and say, God, show me this hurtful way in me. And he began to show it to me and he began to speak value into my life. And it's like, wow, I'm Pinocchio without the strings. I'm no longer made out of wood. I'm a real boy. I'm really alive now because God spoke value into my life. See, God wants us to open ourselves to the searching of his spirit so that he can reveal what are the real issues. And then what are the real solutions? Not, I know what to do. No, what are the real solutions? Let me just say here, if you are here and you don't understand your sexuality, you do not need to Google more. You just don't need to Google more. You're just going to get more opinions out there. Can I first invite you to enter into relationship with God through Jesus Christ and then invite the Spirit of God to search you because your sexuality may not be the thing that God wants to talk to you about first. Even though every Bible church in the Bible Belt Church wants to make it the first issue, maybe it's not your first issue. I thought my big issue, because I came from a promiscuous life of sex, I mean like the 70s. Do I need to say more? Oh, the 70s. And you know, it's, it's, I mean, I thought sex was my big problem, and God's like, no, it's not, Paul. It's you feeling valid. Sex is just a canvas you use to try to feel valid. You could hunt through the Bible and find everywhere where the word fornicate appears in the Bible, Paul, and you still won't fix yourself. But if you allow my spirit to search you with precision and compassion, you may find out something about yourself or what God knows about yourself. But that applies for all of us. We need the spirit to see what the real issues are, what the real solutions are, so that we can articulate and implement God's vision for our lives. Our kids don't need us coming home and saying, no more rap music. I don't even know if people talk like that anymore. That just sounded stupid, just coming out of my mouth. No more rock and roll. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I know that's a Bible verse, and I know it's a good manifesto of Bible verse, but Joshua knew who he was. Joshua knew the Spirit of God. Joshua had allowed the Spirit of God to search him for him and for his kids and for his family. And he was able to not only see what the problem was, but also know what the fix was and then was able to artic articulate it with precision and with compassion. Boy, isn't that what the Church of America needs now more than anything? It's not enough to be right. 
we also have to be compassionate. So as we enter into this moment of expressions, sometimes this process will bring you great joy, and it did for me. When God showed me what was kind of like wrong with me inside of me, I was jacked. I was so excited. Because when you, because I, I know that's part of the, the city's going to get rebuilt. I'm not afraid of finding out what's wrong with me. As long as the Spirit of God does it with precision and, and compassion. Now, if you're just going to stand on the street side on a top of a box and point out and call me a sinner, well, that ain't going to go very well. But if the Spirit of God searches me, for years I thought I was a failure. Over the last three years as this building's flooded, every time it's flooded, I felt like I failed you, that I failed as a leader. And this flood was an insult to me and showed that I was not the right man for this job because I couldn't fix this problem. And God showed me through his spirit, Paul, you're lying to yourself. You need to let me speak to you about this issue of the flood. You need to let me speak to you about how good of a job you're doing. Before you go fixing your husband and your wife and your kids and your coworker, can I also say this? Before you start dating again, before you start dating again, invite God to do this work in you because you don't know what kind of person you need until the Spirit of God reveals who you are and what He wants you to be. Ask God to walk around your walls and to go deep into your heart. This is more than just self-awareness or introspection. This is allowing God to search the depths of who you are and to reveal who he wants you to be. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. This process will at times hurt you. But when you know it's being done with precision and with compassion, I'm, I'm open to be wounded by God because I know this, that he who begins this work in me will be faithful to complete this good work that he has done in me. So in this moment, can I ask you to consider to go beyond believing in a God, believing in a universe, believing in laws, believing in just Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world. But can I ask you to consider going further and, and making him your Lord and allowing his spirit to search you and inviting that spirit to, to reveal to you who he wants you to be. It's daring. At times it will cost you your life. It will cost you your opinion of who you are. Not everybody's going to love the fact that you're going to do this because not everybody cares about the welfare of the people that God loves. But let me invite you into this moment because he who will begin this good work will be faithful to complete it. I stand here as a result of God's work in the dark spaces of my life. Father, we enter into this moment and it doesn't end with the taking of the bread and dipping it into the cup. Lord God, that is the gate that enters us in that we can invite the Spirit of God to search me before I date again, before I give up on my wife, 
before I post my next post on Facebook, before I give someone a piece of my mind, before I seek to medicate myself, Lord God, search me and see if there's any harmful way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Know my thoughts, O God. Search me. Reveal it to me so that I can be who you want me to be and so that your, king, your kingdom can come and your will be done. I invite you into this moment with God.